This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Narcissism is something that is described in the dictionary as excessive or erotic interest in oneself and one's physical appearance. When you use that term, you're usually talking about someone else that maybe you work with or you have in your world. But would you believe that most of us have a level of narcissism? Not necessarily like that, but we do have it within us. A new book looks at just how pervasive this actually is. The book is titled Everyday Narcissism, Yours, Mine, and Ours. And the author of the book is Nancy Van Dyken, and she joins us right now. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, So what I found interesting is just that point that, and we'll get into the definition of, of everyday narcissism in a second, but that there are a lot of people that do have this within themselves. Well, I think um, it's created by the way uh, the highest percentage of us are raised. And um, so, yes, I believe most all of us have a level of, uh, I call it everyday narcissism, because it isn't the personality disorder that so many people talk about. So how do you define it? Uh, well, it's uh, a garden variety form of narcissism um, that we will recognize through uh, people who are prone to pleasing, uh, trying to get other people to please them or take care of them. Um, uh, it's, um, it's an unconscious level of wanting to be taken care of and feeling responsible for other people as, uh, as outlined in the five myths that I spoke about in the book. Yeah. And I wanted to get into those. And, and, uh, as you just mentioned, the, these myths, take us through them a little bit. And, and I wanted to delve into a couple of them after you get done. Great. Um, Well, the first myth is um, we are raised to believe that we have the power and the responsibility to control how other people feel and behave. So when the five-year-old is told to go give grandma a kiss goodbye because she's leaving and says, I don't want to, grandma just hurt my feelings, uh, mother says, now go give her a kiss goodbye or she'll feel bad. So now the five-year-old is being told she's responsible for how grandma feels. Grandma's 65, the child is five, and she's being told she has to make sure grandma is happy. No one cares how the five-year-old feels. Right. The five-year-old also knows if she doesn't do what her mother wants, then her mother's going to be unhappy with her and perhaps angry. So she has to take care of her mother's anger and make sure her mother doesn't get mad at her by giving her grandma a kiss goodbye. She also knows that if she holds to her her own truth, that then dad's going to be upset because dad doesn't like it when mother's upset. So the child is five and being held responsible for those three adults' feelings. Um, And it gives her a real false sense of how much power and responsibility she has. And we hear that over and over and over enough. We come to believe that we do have that much power and are responsible for others in that manner. The second myth is, well, if I'm busy taking care of you, you're supposed to take care of me. So the second myth is you have the power and the responsibility to control how I feel and behave. 
So somebody might say, well, I wouldn't have gotten so mad if you had come home on time. Well, I wouldn't have gotten so angry if dinner had been on the table on time. Right. Um, holding the other person responsible for how I feel, and if anger is in there, it's your fault that I'm angry. When, in fact, there are people such as my father who would never have considered expressing anger in a disrespectful manner. Um, one time in my life, I was about eight or ten, and his hobby was woodworking. And he was working around a table saw, and he said, make sure you always unplug it before you do step A. So I went to do step A without unplugging it. My father raised his voice and he said, Nancy, that's the only time in 38 years I heard my father raise his voice because <laughs> he decided in his life that he wasn't going to do that. Other people decide it's okay to get angry or swear or call names. So if someone gets angry in that manner, that has nothing to do with you or me. That has to do with a decision they made about how they're going to express their anger. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Myth three is your needs are more important than mine. So obviously in that example about the five-year-old and the grandma, the five-year-old's needs didn't matter. They were so important, no one even talked about them. They didn't care that she was hurt. They didn't care she was upset with grandma. Just make sure grandma's happy and I'm happy. And children hear that over and over and over again. I just had a client in here, and she's starting to learn about the myths. And she said, Nancy, my seven-year-old said that to me yesterday. She said, Mom, the only thing that ever matters is what you want and what you need. And what I want and need doesn't matter at all. Right. Pretty insightful. Yeah. Um, the fourth myth is rules are more important than I am. So they can be church rules, society rules, family rules, any, uh, any kind of rules are more important. So as one man said to me, well, I know that, Nancy, there's a social rule that says I'm always supposed to feel adequate and sexy and secure. Right. And uh, don't talk about those feelings if you have them, because you're not supposed to have them. And of course, it's really harmful to men to not be able to just be themselves as it is for women. And the last myth is, if I don't follow all these lies, I'm not lovable. I was not born lovable. I right. have to do these things to become lovable. We're talking with Nancy Van Dyke, and the book is Everyday Narcissism, Yours, Mine, and Ours. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. All right, so let me go back uh, on a couple of these, and I'll start at the beginning because what I found interesting in going through it is that really this is this first myth is something that in many cases is driven by one person towards another, and it may be, in the example you gave, it's a parent towards a child. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, it's something that 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 person doesn't even realize that they are doing, correct? Absolutely. And that's the purpose of my book, is trying to help people make this conscious so they can make choices to do it differently. All of us parents have tried to do the best job we could. Right. Our parents tried to do the best job they could with us. They just passed on 
what what was done to them. It's it, most all of this is unconscious. We, we were just taught that's how you do it. Right. And and I think that myth one, go give grandma a kiss goodbye or she'll feel bad. We're trying to teach our children sensitivity, and and there's a way to teach sensitivity without discounting the child. So you might say, okay, it's okay if you're mad at grandma. You don't have to give her a kiss goodbye, honey. Out of respect for grandma, though, you need to go say goodbye. Right. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So uh, the the second myth uh, about uh, the, the power to control I, I found that interesting as well, and and I took it as I think we we find it hard at times to believe that other people can have that type of impact on us. I I would say influence, but not necessarily control or impact. A- am I correct on that? Um, well, I'm not quite understanding the question. Well, say, say it again. okay. So, I mean, in terms of other people being responsible and have the power to control the way we feel, yeah, I, I, I find that that a lot of people, I think, have more power to control how they feel, or you know, than than we really give them credit for. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that th- that power to control is an absolute coming from other people. Um, well, other people can't control us. Right. That's the lie. We think, you know, somebody says, well, you hurt my feelings. Right. Um, well, you might say that same thing to me, and I'll have a different kind of response. Maybe I'll think it's kind of fun. Um, I, we really don't have the power to make other people happy or angry. Um, I always say, to my clients, if you have that much power, you're sitting in the wrong chair. Right. Because I have a lot of people coming in who would like me to be able to make them happy. And and only they can make themselves happy. So if you're not happy, don't blame your partner. Yeah. Do we have a lot of people that uh, that that kind of follow the third myth in terms of putting the wants and needs of other people above their own? Oh, that's classic. Yeah, uh, these myths are what I work on. Uh, predominantly in therapy, because it's really hard for people, for instance, to say to a coworker, comes to them and says, uh, "Dan, can you help me this afternoon with X and Y?" Right. And oftentimes people say, "Oh, sure, sure." And then later they go, "Oh, why did I agree to that? I don't have time. I'm so bogged down." But we're so afraid to say no because somebody might not like us. Somebody might not see us as a team player. Somebody might not see us as cooperative. And our basic drive in life is to belong, to fit in. Uh, um, Freud said it was sex. Adler broke away in about 1918 and said, no, we just want to be liked. We want to belong. So to put my need first and to say, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you today. I'm I'm buried myself. However, I might have some time tomorrow. Um, it's really hard for people to say, no, that won't work for me. What really you, hard. What do you think is the overall kind of real-world impact of of these myths on people? And obviously, in your world, a part of it is psychological, but I would think that a part of this also is just the impact that people have on their lives and whether that has a, a medical impact as well. 
Well, I think whenever we don't live by our own truth and our own wisdom, we're, we're taught through these myths not to trust ourselves, not to trust what's good for us, uh, because that's called selfish or inconsiderate. Right. And absolutely, when we don't take care of ourselves um, emotionally, uh, it affects us spiritually, it affects us physically. I just spoke to a woman the other day who has terrible anxiety. She's steeped in these myths. She's very successful, has a very high position in an international company. And I told her, you need to get to the doctor because you're trying to please all these people. You are so capable. You can do all this, but it's killing you. You're 100 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. Your blood pressure is high. Uh, you need to get a stress test done. I'm very concerned about you medically because everybody else matters and not you, and you're miserable. When somebody – well, let me – how do people realize that they may have this within themselves, and is, how do they go about changing their lifestyle to train and get away from some of these patterns? Well, I'm glad you called them patterns because that's what they are. They're right. not flaws in us. They're just patterns. Right. Um, well, in my first, you have to be aware of what they are. You have to learn about what they are, and that's what I've tried to do in my book. Right. Also in my book, I have healing activities to start to change these patterns. And when people start changing the patterns, and sometimes they're real scary to do, to say, no, I don't want to do that. Right. No, that won't work for me. That That's. I've had people work on something that simple for six months. Um, but the activities in the book will give you specific instructions on how to start taking charge of your life rather than having these lies run your life. We're talking with Nancy Van Dyken, who is the author of the book, Everyday Narcissism, Yours, Mine, and Ours. If you would like to join in with a comment or question, you're more than welcome to. The way to do so is either by phone at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. As I mentioned at the top, there's one definition of narcissism, which is something much different than uh, than what, what you're discussing here. But but I wanted to bring it up because of the fact that that is the, the, the general understanding of what narcissism is. And, and I guess there's, there's a process in terms of differentiating the two, especially in the minds of a lot of people, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, often times today you'll hear people refer to somebody as narcissistic and they really kind of throw the word out with limited information and um, I would never armchair diagnose somebody as narcissistic mm -hmm. um, it's a formal process that a professional use to evaluate um, but classically narcissists uh, with a diagnosis are um, uh, prone to uh, getting angry easy when things don't go their way. They're always right. They really need to be the center of attention and will do uh, many things to make that happen. Um, a client of mine is going to a funeral of a friend, and she told the wife, whose husband had died, that she would like to make a flyer with pictures of uh, her husband 
and and, and have them at the funeral. Mm-hmm. And the woman said, no, I, I don't want that. And uh, eventually the woman went and made the flyers anyway, even though the wife did not want them. And and what this woman is looking for is she wants attention. Look at what I have done. When, in fact, the wife said, please don't bring them. I don't want them there. I'm going to have framed pictures that I really like. Right. Um, but this woman will get a lot of attention for making these flyers, even though it isn't anything the wife wants. I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish up. No, no. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say I wanted to to switch to, to the fifth myth about about uh, you know we're not as lovable as we are. And, and when I was thinking about this, going through it the other day, the potential impact of, of of that recognition, I was thinking about obviously in our personal lives, but in our business lives, and and there seem to be so many different kind of angles where that could crop up in a person's life. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the myths teach us that we are not lovable. Our, you know, if, you, if you're told that your feelings don't count, well, then you're not very worthwhile. If you're right. told that what you want and need isn't important, well, then you're not very important. Uh, you got to change all that, and then you become important. And as I try to say to my clients, we are born perfect. We are born perfect, and who we are is perfect. That doesn't mean we don't have flaws and things to learn. But as I, say to so, as I say to some of my clients, have you ever had a dog? Yes. Do you love your dog? Yes. When it was a puppy, did it potty on your floor? Yes. Did you stop loving it? No. Did it chew your shoes? Yes. Did you stop loving it? No. It was just being a puppy. Right. And we're the same. We're exactly the same. Uh, but the re- but the re- but the recognition probably isn't there like it is in the situation you just uh, you just laid out at, at least in, in in many cases. That's right. Yeah, most people don't don't see themselves as lovable. But they have to do it right. They have to do it perfectly. They have to be super sensitive. All sorts of things. So yeah. you so you really need to in in many cases you just need to trust yourself. You need yes. to trust your feelings. Yes. You need to just believe in yourself yes. more or at a different level. Well, that's why I say therapy in my book is a bit of a spiritual guide, because we have to get back in touch with that wisdom within us. Uh, we've learned not to listen to it because it's selfish. Uh, we've learned not to listen to it because it doesn't matter. But that wisdom, if you listen to it and act on it, it will guide you. Mm-hmm. To do to ha- to have the exact life that you want, but but that's hard to do. It's not easy, but when you when you do the hard stuff, you get the hard you get the great rewards. And towards the end of the book, you also put in healing activities, which I think, well, obviously it's important to you, and I think it's great to have in the book because it's one thing to kind of lay out and, and potentially see the issues, but it's another way to be, to kind of be able to start to guide people to a different path as well. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Have great having you here on the show today, Nancy. It's a fantastic book and I wish you all the success with it. Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. Thank you. The book again is Everyday Narcissism, Yours, Mine and Ours. Nancy Van Dyken is the author of the book. Uh, It is available in bookstores and online right now. Uh, Pick it up. It's a very interesting book. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.